This morning's passage comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Let me read the passage. It's a little long, so bear with me. Now, on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were walking, uh, talking, and discussing, Jesus Himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, "What are you discussing with each other while you walk alone?" They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered Him, "Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days?" He asked them, "What things?" They replied, "The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us." They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, "Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared." Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into His glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them the things about Himself in all the Scriptures. As they came came near the village to which they were going, He walked ahead as if He were going on, but they urged Him strongly, saying. Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, "Were not our hearts burning with us within us while he was talking to us on the road?" While he was opening the scriptures to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, "The Lord has risen indeed, and He has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road, and how He had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, as far as what's happening in this passage, we are still on the Resurrection Day, Easter. In the morning, in the previous passage,、um, the women followers of Jesus went to the tomb, as if we can even tell from this passage, where Jesus was buried after the crucifixion. But they found the tomb empty, and encountered instead two angels telling them that Jesus has risen. 
Now, these two women, uh, these women followers of Jesus, by the way, uh, modern scholars call them women disciples because they too were followers of Jesus and traveled with him and supported the earthly ministry of Jesus out of their own means, as written in Luke 8.3. And these women followers of Jesus are described in chapter 23, verse 55, as those who had followed Jesus from Galilee, which is about 70 miles from Jerusalem, if you draw a straight line. But the region is very hilly, so it is estimated that it would take about 30 hours if you travel on foot, and they all traveled back then on foot. And Luke names some of these women in chapter 8 and chapter 24, Mary Magdalene, we all know uh, from whom Jesus cast out seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of King Herod's household, and another Mary, the mother of James the Younger, that is not James, the brother of Jesus, so this Mary is not the mother of Jesus, and other women who were with them. These women told what they saw to the 11 apostles and the disciples, other disciples who were with them, but they did not believe the women, and their witness accounts uh, were dismissed as either talk or nonsense, as written um, in, in the Gospel of Luke. Now, um, we see in this passage for this morning, the two men on a journey that leads to an encounter with Jesus in the table fellowship. And according to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16, the two men's accounts of witnessing the risen Jesus as well as talking with him, were also not believed by the 11 apostles and the rest, just like they didn't believe the women's witness accounts until the reason Jesus himself appeared before their own eyes. However, Luke does not comment on if the other disciples believed the witness account of these two men, but immediately follows their account with the appearance of Jesus to all those disciples gathered together in Jerusalem. The passage of this morning is quite long, but we will focus on three things. First, this journey of the two men from Jerusalem. And second, their encounter with Jesus in the table fellowship at the end of their intended journey. And third, how, as a result of encountering the risen Lord Jesus, they were turned around, literally, as they returned to Jerusalem, and also, figuratively, that their lives were transformed. First, the journey. The two men were going down to a village called Emmaus. It seems that they were going home, or their respective homes, from Jerusalem, because later they'd invite Jesus to spend the night at their place. By the way, for those of you, uh, those of you who are interested, uh, scholars actually do not agree as to the actual location of this village named Emmaus. But what is important here 
is not where they are going, but whence, according to Old English, or from where they have come. Remember, um, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus uh, were all scattered and scared and went in hiding in fear. Before Jesus' crucifixion, they all traveled together following Jesus, men and women, as Luke describes in chapter 8, and journeyed together to Jerusalem. But now they were in confusion, doubt, and disarray, and even disintegration of their community seems to have begun. For the very departure of these two disciples, away from Jerusalem, from the community of disciples, points to the physical division in the beginning of the drift away from the high hopes they once had and the, from the close-knit community of faith. The two, as they walked and talked, all these things that had happened, but obviously they lacked the understanding of what really happened. Then Jesus himself came near and joined them on their journey, like a fellow traveler who happened to be traveling the same direction on the same road. But they did not recognize Jesus. It says in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. However, this is not a matter of providential intervention or prevention. That is, it is not uh, that somehow God was preventing them from recognizing Jesus, but it is rather a spiritual blindness. The sight in the Bible often has to do with faith and salvation. And failure to see has to do with unbelief and spiritual estrangement. For example, in Luke chapter 2, when Simeon, who is described as a righteous and devout man and having the Holy Spirit on him, when he saw the very young child Jesus, still an infant, he took the baby Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, My eyes have seen your salvation. That is, seeing baby Jesus, he was seeing the salvation Jesus would bring. On the other hand, for these two disciples, their weakened faith also weakened their spiritual sight, and that they could not perceive or recognize that it was Jesus. Now, even though they were the ones who were spiritually blind and not understanding the meanings of the events that happened in these days, they were surprised by the seeming, quote-unquote, ignorance of Jesus when he asked them, what are you talking about? One of the two Cleopas, in, uh, he said, in paraphrase, how could you not know what happened in these days? Ironically, Jesus was the only one who knew what really happened. And Cleopas described Jesus of Nazareth as they thought who he was, according to this common conception or misconception of people about Jesus. He was a prophet like Moses, who was mighty and powerful before God and all the people, and that is what many people of the time expected Jesus to be. What they didn't know and failed to understand was that Jesus was, of course, so much more than a prophet. They hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel, 
just like God sent Moses to redeem his people. What they didn't know and thus could not hope for was that Jesus would redeem not only Israel, but the entire world, the whole world, as the God's anointed Savior, the Messiah. Thus his name, Christ Jesus, which means the anointed Savior. But now, as far as Cleopas and his companion were concerned, their hopes were dashed. And they were disappointed and saddened because Jesus got crucified, and that meant for them the death of the so-called Jesus movement. So Jesus rebuked them, saying they were foolish, which means in Greek, without understanding. Now, you have to understand that uh, this charge that they were foolish indicates not so much of their intellectual or cognitive abilities as their spiritual shortcomings, resulting from their lack of faith. But Jesus said that they were slow of heart to believe the scriptures. Heart refers here to the inner commitment and attitude of a person. So Jesus interpreted and explained to them the things about himself in all the scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that is, from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, to the 12 minor prophets that comes at the end of the Old Testament. It is likely that Jesus did not focus on isolated texts, but on persons, patterns, and storylines within the whole of the Old Testament that were pointing to the coming Messiah, written long before the cross and are now fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Before we move on, um, Here's the Bible in a nutshell. The Old Testament is one long history and story of God and his people. In particular, after the creation and the fall, it is about God's promise of redemption and keeping of his promises despite people keep sinning. And in the New Testament, God's promise is fulfilled once and for all in Christ Jesus, who was crucified, risen, and now glorified, so that we may dwell with God in his presence once again, as in the beginning, in blessed eternity. And we are now living in between times now, because God's kingdom has been initiated already by Christ Jesus, but not yet complete. Now back to our passage. Now the two men reached their intended destination, likely their home in a village named Emmaus. But Jesus seemed to keep going on his way. But it was almost evening, and that meant it was a dinner time, because first century Jews typically ate dinner before sundown. Also, the people of the time avoided traveling at nighttime because of safety issues. They didn't have street lamps or nothing like that. So they extended hospitality to Jesus and invited him to stay with them at least for the night, saying that the day is almost over. And Jesus is now seated at the dinner table. Now such hospitality is seen throughout the Bible. It is an expression of the love of others or neighbor. Even though the specific word hospitality does not occur in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, 
because it is just a practice of the love of others. But in the New Testament, the Greek Bible, the word hospitality means love of strangers or a foreigner. Of course, you can equate it to the love of others. Indeed, it is written in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Keep on loving one another, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some have entertained angels unawares. Now you may remember uh, two incidents in the Old Testament. In Genesis 18, Abraham shows hospitality and serves a meal to three visitors who turned out to be the angels of the Lord. And they tell Abraham that Sarah will have a son. In Genesis chapter 19, Lot urges two seeming out-of-towners to please spend the night at his house. And they also turn out to be the angels of the Lord. And they save Lot and his family from destruction of the city. If you have such love for others, and indeed not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, you'd at least not shoot at some stranger just because he or she rang your doorbell. Let me ask you, do you think Jesus will come back again as a fair-skinned man with blonde hair and blue eyes? He may, you never know. But the last time, the first time he came to earth, he came as a Middle Eastern man, a Jew in the region of Palestine, that is, with black hair and dark eyes. And living and walking around in that region in the first century, he must have had the darkened skin from the sun. Honestly, it's beside the point, but given such a time as this that we are living in now, if a Middle Eastern-looking man with dark hair, dark skin shows up at my door, or any man at all for that matter, I would have my husband get the door. And these days, little girls um, in particular are taught strangers danger. But regardless, let us be reminded always that of always of the love of others and hospitality to strangers and foreigners. Now, as uh, you may have noticed, Though Jesus was invited as a guest, we see in verse 30 that he is now taking the role of the host by breaking the bread and distributing it. In fact, the actions of uh, Jesus, that Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, remind us um, of the feeding of the 5,000 uh, in chapter 9 of Luke, and also the Last Supper in chapter 22, both of which was seen as anticipation of the feasting at the table of Jesus in his kingdom. For he said in chapter 22, verse 30, to those who remain faithful in Christ and thus inherit the kingdom of God, will eat and drink at his table in his kingdom. That is, the meal at Emmaus, which Jesus as host, with Jesus as host, is more than a shared meal or a social occasion, but the table fellowship with Jesus, the Messiah. 
and it reflects the image of the kingdom of God in which we will have the genuine fellowship with God and also with one another in great shalom, that is peace and love. Then in the moment of the breaking of the bread, the two disciples recognized Jesus for who he is. Their eyes were opened. Again, it is not physical, but spiritual. It is a spiritual awakening, a spiritual discerning of the divine presence of Jesus. Jesus then disappeared suddenly from them, just as he appeared suddenly to them on the road. But in between his sudden entrance and exit, we find two transformed lives. And at that same hour, he says, verse 33, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. It is as a result of encountering Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord, the Messiah, in the table fellowship. Now their return to Jerusalem signifies return to their community of disciples as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. It also signifies all the disciples coming back together as Jesus' community, the followers of Jesus, women and men, as mentioned in verses 9 and 10, and also as described in the opening chapters of Acts. Arriving in Jerusalem, the two found the eleven and the rest of their companions gathered together. And they all shared the news of the risen Jesus, including uh, his appearance to Simon Peter. What follows um, is, after this passage, is the appearance of Jesus himself to all those disciples gathered and what follows this last chapter of the gospel, according to Luke, is the book of Acts, in which we see the formation of the church and the acts of the disciples following Jesus, teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God while continuing to participate in the table fellowship. To summarize, after the crucifixion of Jesus on the Easter morning, not believing the women disciples' account that they saw the risen Lord, but only confused, these two disheartened, disappointed, and saddened disciples left Jerusalem, drifting away from the community of the followers of Jesus, and headed home. On their way, they were joined by Jesus, but they could not recognize him because of their weakened faith and consequent spiritual blindness. Jesus nevertheless explained the scriptures to them, all that were written about Jesus, that all these things had to happen according to the great salvation plan of God. At the end of their journey, when they reached their intended destination, they showed hospitality to Jesus and invited him to stay with them. At the table fellowship, in the moment of the breaking of bread, they were spiritually awakened and able to discern and discern the divine presence of Jesus and recognize Jesus as who he is. As a result, they returned to Jerusalem as witnesses of Jesus and joined back the community of the followers of Jesus, the community of faith, now gathered together in Jerusalem. And that is so-called a prequel to the forming of the church and following acts of the disciples that continues to this day.
Now, how do we apply these to us in our lives? I can make three suggestions. First, the journey of the two disciples is, in a way, Christian spiritual journey. We all have had, I'm sure, moments of disappointment, sadness, sometimes anger, and even doubts in our journey as Christians. At times, God doesn't seem to be found, and we don't feel His presence. We feel as though He abandoned us at times, but even at the seeming darkest moment of our lives, in the deepest moment of despair and anguish, God is with us. He's present with us, even though we may not feel His presence. Indeed, we know Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So we need to have faith in God and remain in faith, even if He does not. Uh, that means, even if He does not help us in our moment of need. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abnego remember from Daniel chapter 3, they replied to King Nebuchadnezzar in their test of faith. Even if God does not save them, deliver them, they would not worship any other God but their Lord God. Second, we should keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers and foreigners. This cannot be emphasized too much. It is the new commandment of the Jesus to us all that we love one another even as he loved us. Third, let us continue to participate in the meaningful, genuine Christian fellowship with one another in the table fellowship, even over snacks and coffee, if not a full meal, and share our stories of our faith journey, encounter with Jesus, how God has worked in our lives, etc. It is because in sharing the stories of faith and faith journey, which usually happens in the table fellowship, we recognize the presence of God amongst us and witness his power and might working and ministering in our lives. And by so doing, we are transformed little by little every day and the body of Christ, the church, is built up. We look forward to the day, look forward to the day when we will all live in the presence of God and feast at the table of Jesus in his fulfilled kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us again, O Lord, through our moments of despair, disappointment, sadness, anger, Living in this time and age, even though we see it wasn't too different 2,000 years ago. And encourage us, O Lord, and remind us that you are God with us always. You are present with us always. You are there we can find when we reach, if we would reach, O Lord. Help us deepen in our faith, O Lord. Because again, even faith is a gift from you, O Lord, through the Holy Spirit. Help us, O Lord, that we would remain faithful in you, in Christ, O Lord, and remain faithfully until the day we would feast at the table of Jesus in the kingdom, in his kingdom, O Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.